Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello, this is Michael Benner, host of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. In today's episode, we're going to replay a radio interview that was recently done with me by KPFK-FM's Nita Valance, in which we talk about my new book, Fearless Intelligence, The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. I think you'll like this program a lot, as Nita asks me a lot of the same questions that you might ask as a reader of the book, or one thinking about reading the book. Fearless Intelligence, of course, is available on Amazon, Barnes and & Nobles, and pretty much wherever you buy your books. It's also available as an ebook, Kindle or EPUB format. So whether you've already read the book or are planning to, I think you'll enjoy this program a lot. This is Nita Valens again from KPFK FM Radio in Los Angeles. Are you tired of living a life of heartache and confusion? How would your life shift if you knew how to tap into the hidden suffering you're feeling within? What if you could transform the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance into peace and understanding, would you? Welcome to Inner Vision. This is where we talk about health, spirituality, psychology, and your well-being. Today, I'm thrilled to have Michael Benner with us by phone. Michael was with KPFK many years and was one of the original hosts of the Intervision Strip that used to be on at night beginning in 1993. He's the author of a brand new book called Fearless Intelligence that just won a big award. We'll talk about that in a while. And host of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School podcast. Hi, Michael. Hello, Nita. So great to have you here. I'm so excited. It's exciting to be on your show and also back on KPFK. I don't think we've done the show together in about uh, eight years. Well, I think you might be right because uh, you were in Hawaii for five years and you came back in 2010 or 2011? When was that? 2012, yeah. 2012? Okay. Okay, so then uh, I believe you were on the show that year, so you're right. It's like, whatever it is, I don't do math, I'm a shrink, so I'll let you do the math. (laughs) Six or seven, which seems like eight or ten. It does. It seems like forever. I'm so glad to hear about your book that just won an award. Uh, Tell us about the book and what... uh, You've been teaching and doing a lot of stuff for many, many years, and now we have a book. What what happened? Well, I guess the idea to actually sit down and work on a book, and it took me about four and a half years to write, came out of a training that was commissioned by the Rancho Santiago uh, community College District in Tustin in Orange County on behalf of the uh, Orange County Sheriff's Academy. And they wanted me to write a self-awareness training for law enforcement deputies and staff, which I was happy to do. But I knew, of course, that, uh, you know, law enforcement people, especially these sheriff guys, 
would not be open to talking about being sensitive or learning about emotional intelligence. How about if I put it that way? Makes sense. Uh, the female officers were very open to it, and I could talk to them about awareness and sensitivity. But the guys, you know, you could see the arms folding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and the eyeballs rolling. And so I had to find a way to meet them where they are. And so I described the self-awareness program as internal vigilance, the idea of expanding what law enforcement people understand as situational awareness to include their inner awareness. Are they getting stressed? Are they frustrated? Are they projecting their frustration or their anger and misdirecting it? You know, maybe they have a bad day at home, an argument with their partner. Uh, maybe the dog dies or they get a tax bill they didn't expect. Are they taking that out on some guy that rolls through a stop sign? So I taught that for about three years in Anaheim at the academy. And I decided if I expand this, I can include information that goes way beyond the immediate needs of law enforcement. And uh, so that's what I did. And so Internal Vigilance became the book Fearless Intelligence. And it's just the idea that fear makes us stupid. We do and say regrettable things when we're stressed out. And so by managing stress, by meditating and and practicing contemplation and introspection, we become much more aware and a whole lot smarter, and it's easier to understand ourselves and therefore the world. Well, I like that sentence you said a minute ago, that fear makes us stupid. Can you give some examples and, and maybe even backtrack a little bit and talk about what is fear really? Well, thanks. That is a great question. And, uh, you know, if you look even in a dictionary, you'll see that fear is still, in this day and age, described as a response to perceived danger, real or imagined. And so it's understandable that most of us think that fear is a reaction, a reflex perhaps, something sort of automatic and beyond our control to any situation that appears to be dangerous. Again, whether it is or not is another question. My understanding of fear, whatever we call it, whether it's panic and horror, all the way out to the most mild apprehension or nervousness. It's all fear by any name, just a little bit of worry and doubt, you know, are, are qualities of fear. And that it's really not about danger, it's about what we don't understand, what we are unaware of, or what we find confusing, whether dangerous or not. Uh, so when somebody says to us, you know, what are you worried about? Why are you stressing over this? And we say, well, frankly, I don't really know. That's the point. Mm. That's, what, that's what it is. That's mm -hmm. what anxiety is. It's just not knowing. And, and if it does involve real danger, it's not the danger that's triggering the fear. 
the stress, the anxiety. It's what we don't know about the danger. But the truth is most of us are very safe uh, in spite of what you might believe if you watch the news. <laughs> the, the, the world is actually safer than it's ever been. And each of us as individuals are far safer. Uh, that may be hard to believe, but it's verifiably true. And uh, yet we have higher levels of stress than we've ever had. So it's not about danger at all. Fear, whatever the name uh, is really what we don't understand, what we're unaware of, uh, things we're ignorant about or confusing. And at the center of all of that, Nita, the common thread in all the things we don't know and understand is the self. Mm. So, so we don't know ourselves, and most people are completely uninterested, which I've always found fascinating. In a world that refuses to replicate snowflakes, where we have fingerprint evidence and DNA proof of our uniqueness, only the most exceptional individuals are even interested in their individuality and in, in why they think, feel, and act the way they do, in what makes them tick. Out of that a is so interesting. That's I, very strange to me. Well, I, I seriously, I, because we used to talk years ago on Intervision, we had this word called seeker, like we were seeking like yeah. more knowledge about around, what's around us, what's in us, what's what we're about, and we're, we're just seeking and searching and looking and yearning and all this stuff. And so that that really threw me when uh, we were talking about that. If you're just joining us with me today is Michael Benner. He has a new book out, brand new, brand new, Fearless Intelligence. So what what is that about? Why why do we, uh, and you know, I was thinking after I talked to you yesterday, we don't even know, many of us, I'm one of them, don't even know where my organs are inside of me. Is my kidney over here? Is it over here? It's kind of like, is this back pain? Is this kidney pain? Is this muscle pain? What is this? Well, not to mention that most of us, especially men, don't know where our emotional feelings are located. Uh, I was in my mid-30s before I realized that I could feel a feeling in my body. Mm -hmm. I thought emotional feelings were something you thought about. And the idea that we all have the ability to move our awareness from our heads, where it usually resides, down into the body and actually feel those feelings and rely not on logic, but intuition to find the meaning and significance in those feelings. Uh, who teaches intuition? This is generally not available to people. Um, it's not honored and not respected in the society. So we're left with logic, which is largely deductive and reductionist. All we can do is go from general to specific, but... But other societies, excuse me for interrupting, other cultures and other societies put a huge emphasis on intuition and our internal processes and, and connecting inside and meditation and such. I th didn't that is what caused the 
sort of evolution of of interest in uh, Eastern philosophy and such that started decades ago? It's one of the primary differences between the East and the West. In the West, we're very science and technology-oriented, where in the East, they're more oriented toward the internal and personal experience, which is a more ancient concept. In medieval times in the West, in Europe, the world was perceived as a place of experience and action. Today, since the Industrial Revolution of a couple hundred years ago, the worldview in the West is largely about things and objects. And so our eyeballs point outward, our ears are focused on the external, our hands and arms reach out into the world. The seeking that we do, that you referred to, is judging others and trying to control the stimulus rather than controlling our perspective and our response. And Mm. it just doesn't occur to most people that the world is not being done to us so much as it's a projection of the way we see it. Uh, our, our, Our lives are mirroring our awareness. We see what we want to see and get what we expect. And we're not generally speaking, this is a this is a broad brush I'm using, but by and large, we don't want responsibility for our lives. And we're afraid to discover who we are for fear that all the criticism we got from our parents and peers the bullying, and, and it all plays right into the the self-loathing of the egoic nature. The limbic brain is always telling you that you're inadequate, you're not good enough, you're going to screw it up, you don't deserve it, you're going to blow it. You, all this internal dialogue that, that goes with the fight-or-flight response. And so the idea that we can move through that darkness into light that the best parts of us and the information we most need is hidden where we're most afraid to look. So if we look directly into that fear, that heartache, that grief, that anger, that's where we find the answers, the insights and solutions that liberate us. And then, guess what? All that heartache, all that grief and upset vanquishes It was just an alert to get our attention and reveal that we're not this inadequate, bad sinner that that, uh, religion and, and the political establishment wants us to believe. We're actually quite powerful, quite wonderful and magnificent. We care. idea of dividing the world into good and bad, this is another pet peeve of mine. We know that everybody has good and bad in them. Light and shadow is a better way of saying it. And if we explore the shadow side, if we explore the the Donald Trump in us, right, the temptation we all have. What a horrible thought. Go on. <laughs> I know it is, but it's true. We have a shadow. Everybody has a shadow. Yes, I know. We're all capable of lying, cheating, and stealing. We're tempted constantly. 
But rather than push that away and ignore it and deny it, we have to explore it. And then we can consciously choose to be the better person, to, to be the light that illumines those shadows. And the light is substantial. The shadows are, it's like Plato's allegory of the cave. You know, a little, a little mouse runs in front of the fire and casts a shadow that makes it look like it's a monster, right? But it, <laughs> the shadow is an illusion. It's a distortion. It was actually just a little mouse. And that's the way fear is. And the more we know about it, the the freer and we are and the more wonderful our lives. So during the show, even before I give the phone number, which I usually don't until halftime, uh, but you will be able to ask Michael Benner questions, I get uh, either text messages from listeners or I get email questions. So uh, one came in uh, from someone who's asking uh Referring to what you said about 10 minutes ago, that we are safer today than ever, please ask Michael to talk about how is it that we are safer, because it feels like uh, churches uh, and synagogues have, and schools, even, you know, uh, young children's schools have lots of violence going on, so it feels like less safe than decades ago. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, that's probably true in the United States, because of the gun culture and the levels of fear. And we can see the way politicians, particularly in the current era, exploit that fear and use that fear to garner power. So we have racism and misogyny and xenophobia and, uh, again, this appeal to ignorance. That's what fear is. When we hear admonitions about love driving out fear, it sounds rather abstract. It sounds squishy and uh, mushy <laughs> yeah what does that really mean what it means is the way understanding drives out ignorance you see fear and ignorance is a vicious cycle if what we're afraid of if what causes anxiety fear and stress is what we don't know the reverse is also true the ignorance or the unawareness is frightening which creates more ignorance and more fear, and you get this cyclic tornado effect, or glug, glug, down the drain, it pulls you down. Well, curiously, love and understanding are also a cycle, but not vicious and downward, but rather redemptive and uplifting, where the more you understand, the more peaceful and loving you become, which inversely promotes understanding. Oh, I see, comes out of a peaceful, loving countenance, which promotes more love and more understanding. Well, so if love drives out fear, it sounds a little squishy and, and not something I can get my hands on. How about understanding drives out ignorance? Ah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And now we understand why politicians and large corporations and the establishment wants us ignorant and wants us to be afraid, uses fear to make us ignorant, which makes us more afraid. Given the gun culture in the United States, an argument could be made that we're in greater danger, our children are in greater danger, but the world on a global basis, in spite of ongoing war, 
and and famine and extreme poverty, all the problems that we have, the world in, is actually a safer place. And there, there's a number of books. I have that footnoted in my book. I don't remember the reference offhand, but that can be established in terms of warfare and the number of people killed in war, the number of people that die from uh, the result of extreme poverty and disease. Uh, in that regard, we're actually safer. And notice the person texting said, feels like. I certainly would not argue with the fact that it feels like we're in greater danger. Mm-hmm. One of the ironies about fear is that by any name, again, anxiety, stress, worry, doubt, panic, or just apprehension, wherever you fall on the spectrum, it feels like it's holding on to us. The truth is we hold on to fear. Fear is carried in the body as muscular tension. That creates a tightening a girding of the loins, of the neck and the shoulders. Your hands tighten. Uh, Think of the two ways, basically, to ride a roller coaster. Uh, The fearful hold on for dear life. The people that feel safe throw their hands up in the air and shout whoopee. That's so obvious, too. That's a huge distinction, isn't it? And most of us live our lives in the same way. So fear is holding on, love is letting go. Conversely, all holding on is fear and all letting go is love. And so we have to be careful when we feel like fear is holding on to us to recognize that we're holding on. And that attachment is at the root of the problem from an Eastern perspective. We hold on to belief systems. We hold on to this egoic drumbeat of inadequacy to, you know when our thoughts are not applied few people even discern a distinction in this regard but our ability to think logically and analytically and be reasonable when we're working on a task is a wonderful thing but when we're not task oriented and the mind is idling those unintentional or intrusive thoughts tend to be very, very negative. And it's just nonsense bubbling up from the unconscious. We call it thinking. <laughs> and, and yet, it's, it's not thinking. And we don't have to believe those, those lies that the egoic nature is telling you. That's the limbic brain. That's the lizard inside saying, watch out for this. Don't trust that person. Beware of this. You never know where the danger is hiding. And part of becoming more aware and managing our stresses and detaching and letting go of these belief systems and these false ideas, this false self, is recognizing we have the ability to reject negativity, to reject these lies, and to affirm the thoughts, whether they're intrusive or deliberate, that we wish to affirm. So that we're not the thought, we are the awareness of our thought. And 
that's where enlightenment begins. I am not my thoughts. I am not my feelings. I am not my body. I am not the world. So much as I am the awareness of my thoughts. I have choices. I am the awareness of my feelings. And not only can I change my mind, I could change the way I feel. There's a radical concept. Oh, it is. That's. Uh, I love how you said that. And uh, the question I have right now, first let me tell people that if you recognize this voice, it is Michael Benner who used to be on our station many, many years. It was actually mostly late at night when the Intervision Strip began, 11 to midnight, Monday through Friday. Or, I'm sorry, Tuesday through Friday. And when you're talking about the distinction of what we're saying is uh, disturbing to us and that it's emanating from the egoic brain, can you explain a little bit about the limbic system and the egoic brain and how that works and how we can distinguish that to do what you're saying, which is to have the awareness that that does not have to control us? Yes. Well, the limbic brain is at the base of the skull. It is the lizard brain. It is reflexive. Uh, it is emotional in nature. And it contains a small almond-shaped cluster of neurons called the amygdala. And this is the center of fight or flight. It's actually fight, flight, freeze, or faint. And it's a survival response that's gotten us through three million years of evolution when there were great dangers. But, again, we're not in that kind of danger anymore. We're mostly safe. One of the practices of creating expanded awareness is recognizing that fear lives in thoughts of the past and the future. And we're constantly dragged by the limbic brain into past regrets and resentments, grudges, uh, things we hold on to, again, fear, and future fears, things unknown that have yet to happen but might, as if somehow fear is going to help us be safe. There's a crazy idea. Yeah, that really doesn't make much sense, actually. <laughs> no, but we do it. We, we feel that if we felt safe, we'd put ourselves in danger. So I have to be afraid as a way of being careful. And there's nothing more upside down and inside out than that kind of thinking. If you want to generate a reason to be afraid, be afraid. <laughs> That's going to attract it. And if you want to feel safe, then feel safe, right? Um, doesn't mean you don't look at the negative every once in a while, but it's sort of like, hope I don't get too far afield here. You may have to bring me back, but I want, okay. to, <laughs> I, I want to do this allegory. How, how does a positive thinker deal with the possibility of negativity? It's a lot like driving a car. You look for the most part, down the road, at the horizon, at where you're going. But every once in a while, you check your mirrors and the dashboard to make sure you're not driving too fast, you're not out of gas, and the oil light didn't come on, and so on. 
But you don't dwell on that negativity. You just check out those feedback loops, and then you return your gaze to the horizon. So a positive thinker is not one who ignores or denies the negative. It's somebody who checks it out and allows for the possibility that things may go south. But primarily, we need to be goal-oriented. Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. Yes, he did say that. We set goals not to attain them, but to determine a direction. And as we approach, we can change our mind. Say, I'm driving to New York. I don't have to decide whether I'm going to Times Square or the Upper East Side. I'm just headed generally to New York, and as I get closer, I'll decide exactly where I'm going to go and how I'm going to get there. And, and so it is in life. We need to set goals and have direction. But every once in a while, you look at the possibility that things might go south on you. That's the function of the limbic brain, to say, watch out for this, beware of that. Remember, there's a possibility that this may fall apart, and consider those possibilities. Anticipate the negative consequences, but don't dwell on them, because consciousness is magnetic, and you'll tend to attract. You go where you look and get what you expect. You reap what you sow. We can't afford to dwell on the negative. And that part of the brain is the oldest part of our brain. So there's a time, you know, thousands, millions of years ago, whatever it was, that we needed that because there were giant animals that were a threat to us and the environment was less safe. Exactly. Exactly. And we still do, arguably, but we don't let it run the show. That's the backseat driver or that's the guy riding shotgun. You know, the higher self, the wiser self, the passionate, loving, goal-oriented self has to be the one driving the car. That's who we are. We're wonderful beings. And again, we have a shadow side. We have the potential. We have free will, volition. We have the potential to be any kind of person we want to be. We do. So... Let me just uh, stop to let you all know that that familiar voice you're hearing with me today is Michael Benner, and he is here with us to share about concepts from his new book, Fearless Intelligence, and this is KPFK Los Angeles, 90.7 FM. This is InterVision. I'm your host, Nita Valens, and we're going to take a quick little musical break and come right back with more from Michael Benner and your calls at 818 985-5735 985-5735 if you'd like to join our conversation with me as Michael Benner. 
So talking about fear, one of my favorite things to talk about, I love when you said earlier, fear makes us stupid because we can make really, really poor decisions if we're more in fear than in love or a positive place. And I don't mean literally being in love with a person. I mean just being kind of more loving to ourselves. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. An example that often occurs to me is the difficulty that we have in, let's say, a passionate argument with a partner or a a parent or a child, someone you love and care about, and uh, you get in an upsetting uh, argument. Uh, There's friction, more heat than light, and it's hard to imagine suddenly getting a burst of insight and creativity in that in that state of mind. I mean, the higher brain functions are hijacked by this amygdala, by this limbic brain, as part of the survival. We would not be here if our ancestors, in the presence of danger, paused to ponder all the shades of gray and variations and permutations in making a decision. They had to fight or run. Now, reflex. Not a lot of time to make that choice. (laughs) Well, those were the guys that survived, and so we've inherited uh, that trait. The best ideas come to us when we're not engaged, when we're taking a shower or walking the dog or... It's Miller time, you got your feet up, you're staring out the window. That's when you get the revelation, that's when you get the aha or the epiphany. And that's again a semi-meditative state. We go into the alpha brainwave state, we feel safe and relaxed, thoughts begin to slow, the gaps between our thoughts expand, Emotions become calm and quiet, and the higher brain functions replace the limbic brain. Now we're centered in the neocortex. Now we're not lizards, we're human beings. And (laughs) instead of splitting into black or white, all or nothing, that's always a great sign of a high-stress individual. Instead of splitting, we see the third way. And if we can see a third way, then we can see a fourth option and a fifth possibility and a sixth way of looking at things, the the combinations, the variations, and the permutations begin to reveal themselves. And when that happens a few times, deliberately, you begin to cultivate that kind of mindset and say to yourself, here's a little chant that I use, I'll share with your listeners. I remind myself, number one, I have choices. Anytime I feel that I don't, I bring up, just like you would recall, a deliberate memory. I bring this up and I tell myself, Michael, You have choices. I say to myself, I have choices, number one. Number two, there are always more choices than are immediately apparent. Number three, my choices are in my perspective, 
or attitude, and my response. Most people try to control the stimulus, which is beyond our control in most cases. We have little influence over other people or events and circumstances. Besides, it's already happened to you in most cases, so what what are you trying to control? We can, however, control the way we look at it and, and what we choose to do in response. Not reflexive reaction, but a well-reasoned, even-tempered response that we choose. And then number four, my choices should be for the greater good of all concerned, not me or them. And moving from a you or me world to a you and me world is an elevated perspective that comes with expanded awareness. Anytime you find yourself saying this or that, it's just like splitting. If you think you have only two choices and this one's right, like in school, one right answer and all the others are wrong, you're not living in the real world. Every Every answer, every response, every solution has some degree of merit. It may not be much. It may be a, a 90-10 or a 10-90, you know. It could be a 60-40 or a 30-70, but we have to think in relative terms and, and reject this nonsense about absolutes. Well... That's a real important element because I think what happens is fear drives us to, well, it's either this or that, and I better do it like now. Fight or flight. Exactly. That's what it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? It does. And again, feels like, are we a victim of the feeling or are we going to take responsibility? Parse that word. Yes. The ability to choose your response. I love that. You see. We're taking your call. Hold on one sec, Michael. We're taking your calls at 818-985-5735. We already have a couple calls for you, but go ahead and finish your thought. I was just going to add, responsibility is not self-blame. Responsibility is liberation. It's freedom. If you hold others responsible through blame, you've given your power away. If you take responsibility, you empower yourself to be a choice. That's very powerful. Something to think about, folks. With me is Michael Benner, and we're going to go to our first call, which is actually Jerry. Welcome to Intervision. Hi, everybody. I want to wish you a happy holiday season. and Thanks. I want to say how grateful I am that we have... Uh, a station like KPFK to inform us, and everyone should support KPFK. And I'm really glad for your show, uh, Nita, and I must say I wish uh, that Michael was back on KPFK. I wish they could find a slot for him because I think he has a lot of insight and, and vision and wisdom. In fact, my wife Marissa and I are here in Santa Monica listening, and I must say, before I tuned in, I was feeling pretty fearful, but just listening to you both has helped me immensely in this past uh, hour. My question is, how can we 
I'm uh, talking as an activist. Uh-huh. How can activists link the personal and the political together so we can be more effective in the obvious uh, world betterment goals that we all want to achieve? Uh, I see activists that say, well, just get out there and protest, and they don't think anything about their inner well-being. And then I see some just saying, well, what's the sense in protest at all? It's just a waste of time. You just have to take care of yourself personally and your inner self. But it seems just common sense to me that if we could link both, we'd be more empowered and more effective. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that, both of you. Okay. Good question, Jerry. Thank you. Go ahead, Michael. Thank you. Uh, Jerry, thanks for that question. Um, The antidote to fear is love. We must, however, think of love as more than an emotional feeling, as an affinity, an attraction, or an attachment. Love should be capitalized. It is the essence of divinity. It is the essence and vivifying factor of life. It is the magical elixir. And it has many qualities, among them charity, which is not just almsgiving or dragging your stuff to the goodwill or giving money to some nonprofit. Charity is a word that originally was capitalized for many centuries, and it means recognizing that we're all part of one spiritual ecosystem. We are connected. Our unity comes from our diversity. It's a bit of a paradox that the strength of unity comes through harmony and is based on diversity. So one of the qualities of love is harmony. Another one of the qualities is hope. And by developing ourselves to become more aware of our passions, of our caring nature, and the numerous qualities of love, including healing and humor and wisdom and truth and beauty and the urge for justice in this world, that's love too then we're more likely to connect with others who feel the same way, even if it's just a little sprout of awareness. It can be cultivated and nourished and grow. And then we create these collectives of women and men who recognize each other. This is something I experienced as a young man in my generation in the 60s. It's easy to make fun of the flower children and the hippies and Gentle Thursday and drawing on the sidewalk with pastel chalk and and the flower power. It's so easy to mock that, but I'm here to tell you that that was a beautiful thing and that changed the world. We stopped war. We were the first uprising to end war. And I know war continues, but so does the anti-war movement and anti-nuke movement. 
And it's expanded, of course, to include civil rights and human rights and feminism and caring about the environment and recognizing these are all one thing. These are not separate things. That's part of love as awareness. That's the subtitle of my book, Fearless Intelligence, is the wisdom of awareness. And wisdom also is a quality of that love. It's a great answer. Jerry, uh, you've listened to the show for a long time, and uh, we met your, you know, a few times over the years. And I think that you kind of know my philosophy, but just to add to what Michael was saying, I feel that part of the theme of the show is actually to help people discern within themselves what is the right balance for um, needing your time to take care of yourself and refuel and then having enough energy to get out and follow your passion, uh, whatever it might be. It could be marching in the streets for a cause you believe in, or it could be uh, answering phones behind the scenes, stuffing envelopes, reading with groups. There are so many different things that we can do to participate and get active to make uh, the community a better place and henceforth uh, the world a better and a safer place. So there's many, many ways to to approach that. But I think every person needs to look inside and figure out what it is that is their passion or their cause or what they believe in that energizes them. And that is what in the past drove me into the streets was my passion for whatever it was at, at the time. So I hope that answers it for you. And thank you for your call very much, Jerry in Santa Monica. And you can call and talk to Michael Benner at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. So uh, the wisdom of self-awareness, the subtitle of your book that you just mentioned, that's yes. one of the things that, you know, because I know you a long time, and you have talked about self-awareness many times, many different ways, and do you think that the way our culture and our society is operating today, particularly uh, from the White House all across the country, what is different in today's world compared to previous decades and administrations where there may have been more or less support for the individual? What's going on now with that? More fear. More fear means less awareness. Also, there has been a 40-year effort to undermine public education. And so, <laughs> you know, people are not as educated as they used to be. If I, if I began to give some examples, I'd sound arrogant, and I don't wish to do that because... Again, what drives me is recognizing the extraordinary, if untapped, wisdom in all people, in everyone. And when we get frustrated with people that we believe are stupid or even deplorable. Or even just uninformed. Yes. We need to recognize that it's not that they lack intelligence. It's that they're oblivious. 
when people ride an escalator to the top and then stand there, unaware that there are other people riding up the escalator behind them, or they crowd onto an elevator without letting, or a bus without letting people exit first and then move in. That's not a lack of intelligence, as stupid would imply. It's a lack of awareness, a lack of self-awareness, which means a lack of awareness in general. And the reason for that is fear. It's ignorance, confusion, unawareness. And so the antidote is to become more aware and then better educated and willing to look for the relative merit in ideas that you may disagree with. That's one of the first things that happened to me as a journalist. In fact, there's a great quote by Aristotle that wisdom begins with finding, I can't quote it exactly, but it's something along the lines of being able to entertain an idea you do not believe in, to ponder it, to walk all around it, an idea that you decided long ago is wrong and antithetical to everything you believe. Well, if somebody believes it, go back and take a look at it. Maybe you don't find very much at all that is meritorious about it or or worthy of your consideration. But if people, some people, even the most uninformed people believe it, there's got to be some merit of truth in there. Find what it is and then reframe it and present it to your, quote, enemies in a refined fashion. Forty-some percent of our neighbors love Trump. I, it drives me crazy. I can't believe that a racist, Nazi, fascist, anti-Semitic, a misogynistic person that wants to break up NATO and cozy up to every tin horn dictator in the world would be, you know, appealing to anybody. But he is. And yet, and and yet, yet he is. I mean, that's, it is, it, it's definitely one of the shocking uh, moments of our entire lives, but it is what's going on. So, 10% of people never know anything, so polls leave us with 90%, so you're 50-40. You got 50% of people that know what we're talking about, and 40% that like him because he says it like it is. Yeah, but what is he saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the most disgusting, despicable. Uh, you know, his supporters think that those of us who are in the resistance opposes policies. We do, but we're primarily motivated by his lack of him, of morality and civility and decency. That's, <laughs> that's the real issue. So what do they see? We've got to figure out what the people in the heartland who keep voting Republican see in this and study their fear and the best way to empathize with what's motivating them, their fear and their confusion and their ignorance, 
is to find that in us, to explore our own shadow. When we get afraid, what can we learn about ourselves? You know, when we hear these religious and spiritual admonitions about not judging, I think we need to reflect on what that means. It means instead of judging others, understand yourself, know thyself. Judging is for traffic lights, not people. (laughs) Know thyself. Why do you feel that way? Why do you tend to think that way? Do you recognize when you fall into this either-or trap that when I was doing talk shows, nothing was more maddening than the love-it-or-leave-it mentality. You know, there's only two ways, and all differences are opposites to these people. And it's like, wait a minute, don't you see a third option, a fourth possibility? Like, multiple-choice exams even have all of the above or none of the above, and how many times did we have to argue with the teacher and say, this is right also? You know, well, this see that takes us right back to the thing that you mentioned a few minutes ago. I want to talk about in our remaining minutes here is uh, what happened to our education system. Our public education system just really is not even recognizable compared to when you and I were children and uh, we grew up in that education system. American oligarchs. We call them billionaires instead of oligarchs. But they have aligned with the Russian mafia and oligarchs to dissemble democracy. It started before Ronald Reagan. It went into high gear in the Reagan era in 1980. The attack on unions, the attack on public schools, The idea that big unions were bad, but big corporations somehow were good. It's a monopolization of power, a monopolization of money. They don't like democracy. They don't like paying taxes. I'm sure you've noticed. Oh, I have, yes. (laughs) They are dissembling democracy. The Wall Street... Kremlin Alliance is attacking NATO, creating a new North-South Alliance with the goal of the Soviet Union, I'm dating myself, the goal of the Russian (laughs) Federation, (laughs) the goal of the Russian Federation is to destroy what they call Atlanticism, basically our NATO alliance so that they can basically align Caucasians, the white people of the world. There are no people of color in Russia. It's like Russia is like the South in the U.S. It's ultra-conservative. It's super anti-gay. It's anti-women. It's all right-wing white guys that want to align with nationalists in Europe and the United States. It is an emerging fascism that is anti-democratic. And they are going to declare a north-south 
war against people of color in the world for economic domination. And they, there's a Russian agent in the Oval Office. It's that simple. And the Republican Party, basically, because of their own self-interest and their fear that Trump will put out some mean tweet and they won't get reelected. Oh, listen, we could go on. This is a whole other show, darling, a whole other show. We don't have much time left. So let's bring let's bring it back to Fearless Intelligence so that people can find you, find the book, and, and give us something from the tools and techniques of intuitive intelligence to, to close out with. Their weapon is fear. So the antidote is fearlessness. Fear destroys intelligence, destroys awareness. So fearlessness is peace and love. It's wisdom, truth, beauty, justice. And the way to create that, to eliminate fear, to expand awareness, to become wiser, is relaxation exercises. Progressive muscular relaxation, meditation, vipassana, which has come to be called mindfulness. You have to watch your breath until you recognize that you're not the breather, but the awareness of your breathing. Then you can watch your thoughts and feelings, realizing you're not the thoughts and feelings, you are the awareness of your thoughts and feelings. I'm sorry, darling. That's going to have to be the last word. Michael Benner, thank you so much for being with us today. And again, your book is called Fearless Intelligence, and it is available on Amazon. And I... Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble. Okay. And where can people find you? What's your website? MichaelBenner.com. Awesome. You will have to come back and finish our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maggie, who joined us in production today. And thank you, Ricky and Master Control. And the quote I want to leave you with today is by Joseph Campbell when he said, The privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. I'm Nita Valens. Thanks for listening. Oh, 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 oh,